0: And uh, it says, it came to the place where it says, all hope that we should be saved was then gone. Now that's getting down pretty much to the nitty gritty as far as whether or not you're going to survive the sea. Paul said he had been in perils in the sea, in perils of his own countrymen, in perils of robbers. Paul went through many perils in his life. Perils that you and I will not ever have that same kind of peril maybe, but... But the enemy will see to it that he raises up storms in our life. He will bring storms against us. So anyway, it says that as Paul was praying and seeking the Lord, the angel of the Lord appeared to him and encouraged him. And he, sa- he said that, be, be of good cheer, there shall not be loss of anyone's life on this ship. Basically, it's what he told him. And he went and relayed the message to them. But you know, after that he got that message... I believe it was about 14 more days before it all came to fruition. You would think, well, the Lord spoke and he told him there's not going to be any loss. The storm is going to subside. But in that particular situation, he st- they still had to trust in God until the end result came to pass. So I want us to turn in uh, our Bibles to a very familiar passage of Scripture tonight. It's one we all know, but I feel like the Lord showed me a little something about it here Uh, recently that I had not seen before, so let's turn to Matthew chapter 14, and we'll read a few verses there. Matthew chapter 14. Has anybody here been in a storm this year? (laughs) Yep. Yes, I go for good periods of time where it seems like everything is really just moving wonderfully and there are no storms. And then all of a sudden, a storm will crop up of some kind that I have to deal with or have to confront in my life. Some, I'm sorry, Matthew chapter 14, beginning with verse 22. And straightway Jesus constrained his disciples to get into a ship. And that word constrained means he, he compelled them. He said, this is what I want you to do. This is what is next on our list of priorities. To get... Into a ship and go before him unto the other side while he sent the multitudes away. And when he had sent the multitudes away, he went up into a mountain apart to pray, and when the evening was come, he was there alone. But the ship was now in the midst of the sea, tossed with waves, for the wind was contrary. So if you're a Christian serving the Lord, as you go along this journey to do God's will, you're going to find many times that the wind is going to be contrary to your life. Satan is going to do everything he can. Not only the wind, the Bible says in Galatians, it it says the, the flesh lusts against the spirit and the spirit against the flesh. And these two are contrary, one to the other, so that you cannot do the things that you would You and I cannot live the Christian life. We cannot produce the Christian life. It's impossible. We can try to be self-righteous and do good moral deeds, but it takes the operation of the Lord inside of us in order to produce the Christian life and to live and walk through this world. And so it says the ship was having contrary winds. And it says, And in the fourth watch of the night... Jesus went unto them walking on the sea. Now, this was from, uh, I think, 3 to 6 o'clock. The Jewish night was broken up into four watches from 6 to 9, 9 to 12, 12 to 3, and 3 to 6. So that means that they had struggled. Undoubtedly, this storm must have begun pretty soon after that they got on board. And these were experienced seamen, they knew how to deal with things. But, but, but even though they were experienced, they were not capable of dealing what they were up against right here. And why did Jesus wait? You think, you know, sometimes it seems like the Lord waits t- till the last minute. It seems like, Lord, where are you? When are you going to come on the scene? When are you going to reach out and do something to help me with this situation? It was between 3 and 6 o'clock in the morning. And this is the only time we have reference except. In other Gospels, it refers to the same story where Jesus walked on water. And why? I wonder why Jesus did that. Was he just going to display his uh, sovereignty or his lordship? Or, uh, and, and was he operating himself from a standpoint of faith since he was a man? We believe that Jesus had to operate you know, from a standpoint of faith while he was on this earth even as the Son of God. But I don't think the Lord did this just because, as he, we're going to find out, He came walking to them on the sea on the fourth watch of the night. I, I don't think He did it. I think it was because the Father had told Him, I want you to go up into that mountain to pray. I want you to send your disciples because everything He did, He was guided by the Spirit and by the Heavenly Father. And so He knew after He had finished His praying, He had to get to the disciples, and he had no other means at that time of getting to them. And I'm sure he wanted to display to his disciples also his mighty power, but he was going to be with them so they could get to the other side like he had told them to do. And when his disciples saw him walking on the sea, they were troubled, saying, It is a spirit, and they cried out for for fear. Now before we get into this too much We certainly don't want to be too critical of these brothers, amen, because if I had been in their shoes, in their situation, anytime you face some devastating, dangerous, difficult situation, there's hardly any way you can keep the emotions of fear from beginning to arise within you. I don't know... Uh, of anybody that can can actually stop. Now, you have to go into a faith operation when that begins to happen. But your mind begins to go, uh, you know, sort of crazy, and your emotions begin to go sort of crazy. And that's like all the storms that come into our life. We have to become people that can learn how to chase the storms out of our life, that can take authority against the fluctuating and, and terrible storms uh, defeating emotions that are seizing upon us the panic that comes into our life, the fear, the terror, that and, and the torment that comes along with it. We have to learn how by faith to do something about that. And so it says that he, they thought it was a spirit. Now, I guess that means sort of like a ghost. I'm not into ghosts except, praise the Lord, the Holy Ghost. Amen. I'm in the Holy Ghost, praise God. But... But I'm, I'm not into those kind of things. But I guess that's, that's what they thought at first. They, they thought it was a spirit and they cried out for fear. But straightway Jesus spake unto them saying, <laughs> What an admonition. I mean, it's the words of the Lord so it's bound to be the right words. <laughs> be of good cheer. How can you be of good cheer when your emotions are going wild? When you're mentally distraught and it looks like everything around you is, is being devastated and, and all kinds of problems and you can't deal with them. The only way that you can do that is to begin to confess, yes, Lord, I am of good cheer. I trust you. I'm in good cheer. And it will not immediately change your emotions, but by faith, we learn to rise up. As that song says, I believe that y'all sing the praise. I'll raise a hallelujah in the middle of mine enemies. Amen. Amen. That's what we have to learn to do is to praise the Lord. Praise the Lord until we subdue those emotions, until we say, The storm will not rule me. The storm will not control me. The storm is not greater than the God that I trust. So he said, Be of good cheer. It is I. And the next admonition be not afraid. So we know as Christians and brothers and sisters, one of the greatest things that we fight in our life is fear. As a matter of fact, Morris Sorello, a great evangelist, spoke all over the world for many years. Many of you may have heard of him before. But he wrote a book. He said, the number one demon is fear. He said that, that, that is talked about more in the Bible than anything else. Because fear can go into all different categories. It can go into depression. It can go into discouragement. It can go into panic. It can go into terror. It can go into, uh, you know, insanity. It can go all the way. It can take you as far as you'll let it go. And so the Lord said, it is I. And so I saw something in this verse recently that I'd never saw before. And I just want to examine it a little bit. And Peter answered him and said, Lord, if it be thou, bid me come unto thee on the water. And he said, come. And when Peter was come down out of the ship, he walked on the water to go to Jesus. Now, I don't know if he got one step, two steps. I don't know how far Peter got. And we have to, as we say from time to time, we have to commend Peter for his willingness to step out. But it seems to me that Peter and his decision to walk on the water was destined to fail. Because I saw this recently. His lack of faith was already there before he ever stepped out of the boat. Even though the Lord said, come, even though the Lord said, you know, you can come to me. He didn't guarantee him that his journey on the water would be successful. It perhaps probably could have been successful, and he could have walked. I don't know how far Jesus was away from the boat when when he told Peter to come, probably not that far distance. And you say, well, how did they see Jesus at night? I'm sure in the midst of this storm, he was either uh, lit up with the glory of God, or else uh, the lightning constantly flashing, they could see. And I'm sure they saw it Looked like Jesus, but they, they just couldn't hardly believe it. And so, but here was the problem that Peter had when he got out of the boat. He said, Lord, if it be you. So he's trying to step out and make a journey here. Even though the Lord told him to come, he was trying to determine whether to believe in his heart that this was the Lord. Lord, will you really come to us? Are you really coming to save us? We see you. We've never seen a man do this walking on water. Are you coming to save us? He said, Lord, if, if this is you. And so he stepped out, tried to step out. And we have to come to the place that we can, in our storms, learn how, with God's help, uh, to settle in our mind that, yes, Lord, it is you. You're coming. You're going to be here. Lord, one thing about it, I may not know how. I may not know when. But, Lord, I choose to be of good cheer. I choose to not be afraid. I choose to come against these Damaging emotions, these devastating emotions, I choose to come against the Lord. Even though everything about me may be going crazy, I make a choice. I say, Jesus, you're always dependable. You will come. And it says in Hebrews, for yet a little while, and he that shall come will come and will not tarry, amen? He will come. So Peter steps out. But this was sort of a revelation to me. I'd never seen this before where... Peter was trying to determine if this really was the Lord coming to rescue them, and so he was making his he was making his um, identification of the Lord contingent not upon the word that Jesus spoke but upon his being able to step out and walk on the water. It's commendable that, that Peter did that. Now, we do not know fully what his motivation was. Peter was a great servant of the Lord. God mightily used him. Peter was also impulsive. He did things a lot of times quickly on the spur of the moment. So we do not know what his motivation was. Uh, apparently, he was, as far as we can tell, he, he wanted the Lord to prove that, that it was him rather than just hearing the Lord speak the word. And so he said, Come, and when Peter was come down out of the ship, he walked on the water to go to Jesus. But when he saw the wind boisterous, and it had already been boisterous all around him, he just got his eyes off of it a little bit. Now the other guys, they stayed in the ship. They weren't quite as bold as Peter, amen? And I'm sure I'd have stayed in the ship myself. I wouldn't have been that bold either. But but they just chose to stay there and, you know, well, this, uh, the Lord says to the Lord, Peter said, I've got to find out. And sort of like, you remember Thomas, you know, he said, unless I can see the scars in his side and the nail prints in his hands, I will not believe. Even though Jesus had been telling them and preparing them that he must go up to Jerusalem, but how, how hard would it be for you and me if we lived in the first century? See, it's a little easier for us to accept Jesus today. But if you had been living in the first century amidst all the political mess with Rome and the Jews and uh, and the, the, the Sanhedrin and all of those and the Jewish religion and this man comes on the scene that has been prophesied for some what, 4,000 years and all of a sudden you have a literal man walking on the earth and declaring or saying that he was the Messiah. Now he didn't go about boasting about it but people came to believe that he was the Messiah. They had to decide in the first century whether this man was truly the Messiah. And he had told them, he said, destroy this temple, and in three days I'm going to raise it up again. He raised it up. That would be a little hard for me and you if you saw a body that's beaten and mangled to a pulp three days earlier and a body comes up out of the grave perfectly glorified and the only thing he kept was just some scar nail prints in his hands inside so that people would never forget through all eternity that this was the man Christ Jesus that died for our sins but other than that he was completely normal And the Bible actually says in Psalms, his body did not see corruption. I don't understand that mystery. You know, the moment that we pass from this life, our body begins to corrupt. But the Bible said, you will not allow your Holy One to see corruption. Neither will you leave his soul in hell. And so forth as he would go and war against the devil and take the keys of death and hell uh, away from the enemy. And so, uh, anyway, so Peter So the wind, he was afraid, beginning to sink, he cried, saying, Lord, save me. And immediately Jesus stretched forth his hand and caught him and said unto him, O thou of little faith, wherefore didst thou doubt? That's a pretty strong word. I mean, it would sort of be hard not to doubt. Do you ever have trouble doubting in the middle of the storm? I mean, I know it comes against you. I know the doubt comes to everybody. But the Lord says we have to rout doubt out. That rhymed, (laughs) y'all. We have to somehow, the Lord said, Be ye not of a doubtful mind. Amen? He wants doubt to go out of our heart. He wants us to know that He loves us with a perfect love. As a matter of fact, in 1 John it says... um, that perfect love casts out fear. That's an amazing thing that it says, perfect love. Why? Because his love is com- competent. His love is constant. His love is, I mean, it is conquering love. Uh, he, he never has a moment. His eyes is not upon you. His eyes on the sparrow, and I know he watches me. Who was it that told me just recently? I don't know who it was that said, the very hairs of your head are numbered. And we always just thought that meant how many you have. Now, I haven't studied this theologically, but that person was telling me, no. Each one of your hairs, that was you, Brother David, what? Dwayne, I mean, Brother Dwayne. Yeah, you was telling me ever. Yeah, yeah, I mean, Brother David, uh, Brother Dwayne, <laughs> Brother Dwayne. <laughs> we were going to Little Rock. We was getting some pretty good theological stuff the other day, going up to Little Rock. But we had a good time in the Lord, praise God. And so anyway, he reaches out and save, saves Peter. If you go and read the story in, in another place in the Gospels, Mark six forty-five through 51, it, it doesn't talk about Peter, but it seems to be the same one. And it says there in that passage that, that Jesus up in the mountain praying, he saw them toiling and rowing. How did he see them? In the midst of the sea, that was a pretty good distance. Undoubtedly, he saw them by the Spirit. So, you know, and you you know you have uh that's an amazing thing the gifts of the Holy Spirit. I had something happen to me just this week and uh uh I was standing by someone and the Lord told me they were fixing to do something for me. And it wasn't 5 minutes till it happened. And that that's unusual. I don't have that very often. It was just just something nice, something wonderful, but uh, you know, it's just I guess the Lord just spoke into my heart. Praise the Lord then the Lord spoke into the other person's heart. And it all came together. But in the other place it said he saw them, they were tolling, they were getting nowhere. They they needed to just stop. They needed to stop and rest in the Lord. They needed to quit and say, Lord, we can't do this. Lord, we, we're not getting anywhere. You're going to have to come to our rescue. We, we, we can chase storms through Jesus and the power of Jesus. We have the authority. Jesus rebuked. They said, even the winds and the waves obey Him. Do we have that same authority through Him? Through him, if we can stand by faith, a solid, secure faith, we have the authority to tell the demonic, devilish storms that come against our life, get out of here, I'm not going to let you stay. You have to move, you have to go in the mighty name of Jesus. Praise the Lord. And so there's a lot of things, they were in desperation, they were trying, they were desperately trying, they were fearfully observing, they were emotionally frantic, they were mentally in... Physically incompetent to deal with what was before them. Let's look at Psalm 93, verses 3 through 5. I've got to wind this up here in just a minute. Psalm 93. And I don't have time to get to all the things of of the faith of how we are able to drive this doubt out of our life, but Psalm 93, 3 through 5 says these words The floods have lifted up, O Lord. The floods have lifted up their voice. The floods lift up their waves. The Lord on high is mightier than the noise of many waters. Yes, than the mighty waves of the sea. It says God's much greater than all those waves. You know, you get around the waves of the sea, what an awesome Sound they make as they break upon the shore. But the Bible says He created them. He is mightier than the noise of many waves. He makes a path in the mighty waters, it says in Isaiah. And so those storms are going to come. We have to learn to deal with how to chase the storm. We have to come to the place that we can say our faith and speak it and sing it and superimpose it against the storms of our life. The the faith has to override. The faith has to be stronger. The faith has to be competent to get God's approval so that we can overcome by authority and drive the storm of the enemy away. Praise the Lord. And I want to just close with I had a number of other verses but that's not anything in common. (laughs) But I looked up a verse that has been on my heart for uh, quite a while and I'm been preaching for 57 years and uh I would think about this from time to time but I I never looked it up in the Greek and uh I've been sort of going through some battles myself a little lately and a little while and uh, uh I said I'm going to look that verse up but we all know the great psalm 91 but it says in verse 3 and it's talking about those that dwell under the shadow of the most high and so forth, But saying of the Lord, he's my refuge, my fortress. It says, surely he shall deliver thee from the snare of the fowler and from the noisome pestilence. And I'd always thought that word noisome just in my mind meant sort of something that's troubling your mind and all that. And after all these years, I looked the word noisome up the other day in the Greek uh Dictionary there in the back of my concordance. And it said the meaning of the word was to earnestly covet, to rush upon. And the word pestilent means to destroy. So it is saying there that the enemy tries to set traps for people and bring storms because he earnestly covets to rush upon them to bring any kind of destruction he can into their life. And that's one thing when we go through a trial of faith for the glory of God, like Abraham was called to do with his son Isaac. When we're called to do something to be obedient, and even then Satan raises up the storm. That's something. But we have to become strong that we can learn how to chase storms out of our life by the power of our Lord and Savior Jesus Christ. So I want us to just meditate on this last song for a few moments. If you're fighting through a storm tonight and you just come in this altar and and pray and listen to this song and say a prayer and we'll pray here in just a few moments and you can say a prayer for me because I've been fighting some storms myself, so just keep that in mind. But let's just listen to this other song and if you need to come, you come. Otherwise, just put your eyes upon the Lord, talk to Him about a storm that could be in your life.